Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Lodges podcast. Uh, very excited for each of you guys joining us today here on the show. This is episode 49. And with us, we have Darren Traub, who is an attorney and partner at Davis Wright Tremaine LLP, also known as DWT. And he serves across a lot of industries, um, some of those being the entertainment, fashion, sports and technology industries. So, Darren, like I said, we're going to hop right into it. I'm glad to have you on the show. Hey, Juan, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to get my (laughs) T-shirt. That's right. You know me, I'll I'll do anything for a T-shirt or or a glass of bourbon. Uh, There you go. I'm glad I could (laughs) could fill one of those. (laughs) Um. Well, Darren, and and for everyone listening, I kind of always, this has only happened, let's see what, on like three episodes where we have somebody else that, that has SEC ties. And so for those, those of you guys listening, obviously know that I went to Auburn. Um, Darren has joined the club of guests that is also an SEC alum, so from graduate from University of Georgia. So always love having SEC people on. Look, if, if a tiger and a bulldog can get along here, we can do it anywhere then, other than one one weekend in November, maybe maybe two if you guys make it back to the SEC. Yeah, all depending on that. Oh <laughs> uh, no, well, well, I'm excited. Uh, I know we were just chatting, but uh, let's hop into it. Um, really, and 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 Darren, if you want, I think always the best place to start is obviously hearing from you and just giving everybody a little bit of context of your background. Um, I know you've got a lot of extensive work you've done. So if you just want to give like a brief intro of yourself and then maybe more specifically how you transitioned or made your way into the gaming industry um, and, and what caught your interest and all those sorts of things. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I've been an attorney for now. God, I hate to do this, but 20 years. Um, so I'm, I'm probably aging myself even more than some of the audience members. But uh, and I've specifically been an entertainment attorney the majority of that time. I I went to law school knowing that I wanted to be an entertainment attorney. I had um, some ties in the entertainment industry before I even went. So I I went kind of knowing what I wanted to do. And and when I graduated, um, it was 2000 and I was living in Atlanta. So at first at the time I started working with uh, some up and coming Atlanta artists um, that of course, you know, now are household names at the time, no one had heard of them. And, you know, now that I, I laugh when I think back to those times. Um, And and so that was kind of where I I cut my feet was really in the hip hop and heavy metal worlds um, and kind of grew from there. So I started doing a lot of hip hop. Um, Then from there, I started doing a lot of music festivals. So working with, uh, I I now work with more than 55 different music festivals, um, mostly in the EDM world, but a lot within the hip hop world as well. Um, and because of that, I kind of always had my pulse on not only what was going on with the main stage artists, but was also going on with some of the underground artists, became friends with some of the artists, then became friends with their entourage, which really then are the people that create hype culture. Um, you know, and that spun off everything from shoe collaborations to, you know, hoodie drops um, and really kind of learning a lot about street and hype collabs. Uh, and I started working in that industry. Of course, I've always been a gamer like everyone else, right? I, I, I'm old, so I had the Atari 2600 as my first game system, then you know, the old Nintendo, uh, and I've worked my way up. So, you know, I'm, I'm still a gamer at heart. Um, and of course, you know, a, a lot of these artists are gamers as, as well. So I, I've been working around the gaming industry for many years. 
Um, watching, of course, esports evolve, I had uh, some several ties into some big names within the esports industry, even probably before um, I really kind of delved into it. But what I noticed was that there was this really amazing crossover between all of these cultures, between gaming, between music, between lifestyle, that really no one else at the time kind of was seeing like I had this vision for it. Um, and I don't mean that in an ego way, sort of going, maybe I was just, you know, uh, maybe drunk, um, right? Because everyone was kind of playing. But I'm, I'm looking at it going, you know, these musicians play games. You know, gamers wear these hype sneakers. Um, you know, these esports organizations are starting. They, that could be a really cool place for artists to, uh, you know, do something different than just the music industry. And, and hey, wouldn't it be cool for some of these, um, you know, these gamers if a top level hip hop artist came out and said, you know what, I too am a gamer. And everyone kind of wins from this. So a few years ago, I started just kind of piecing different clients together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hey, here's an idea that I may have for you. It could be dumb, but, you know, let's just see where it goes. And, and then that's frankly kind of my network just grew and grew and grew. And so I started working with more and more record labels um, and hip hop and EDM artists, almost probably exclusively within that world. Uh, you know, my my five to ten music festivals grew to 55. Um, and then, of course, within gaming, I started working with publishers and leagues. Uh, and top orgs, um, non-endemics looking to understand the space more. And then in the third thing, I was doing a lot of lifestyle branding companies. So, you know, like an off-white, like a Supreme, uh, mm-hmm. Fear of God, Vediments, um, and working in ways and, and frankly, just kind of connecting my network because I'm working across all of these industries, you know, again, from the publishers to the leagues, to the games, to the organizations, to the artists, to the labels to the, the, the streetwear brands, I know what everyone's working on. And I kind of take a step back and go, oh, you know, this would make sense with this. This would make sense with this. And, and usually it's just me sending out a text, uh, you know, or, or an email, um, kind of sharing my brainstorming ideas with two clients and letting them run and take it from there. And then at some point, hopefully they come back and, and let me, you know, do the deal for them. Um, or, or at least share the ideas that I'm that I'm envisioning for them, and that's really kind of where everything grew. And I would say, you know, these days I probably do spend probably 16 to 18 hours a day putting these different deals together um, between music and gaming, between lifestyle and gaming, between lifestyle and and artists. Uh, you know, these days a lot it's been um, putting music and concerts within video games and doing a lot of the uh, you know, a lot of the video game concerts that everyone's been reading about, um, you know, probably started a year ago and some, you know, random ideas that, that we had. And and that's really kind of what I do in a nutshell. Yeah. So it, it sounds almost too like, <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like the gaming part kind of just fell in as you were going through your, your entertainment experiences with the concerts, with the live events. Um, and, and getting close to that space and to that world, it seems like it kind of just came about a little bit. It it was right. As, um, as that world became more, more prevalent in the worlds that I was already dealing with. And as, you know, as I always say this, right. So, uh, you know, you look like offset with phase clan, right. Offset will never own a piece of the New York Yankees or the Atlanta Falcons or, you know, for you, the, the Tampa Bay, you know, Tampa Bay bucks, um, Mm -hmm but nor should he, right? That's not what his demographic really cares about. 
And, and that's not going to bring him anything other than, yeah, look, I'm an investor in a, in a sports team. There's no real authentic way for him to collaborate and stand out within that team. But you take a flip side and you look at, say, FaZe Clan, you're like, wow, that makes perfect sense for him. He can buy into it. it it's at a price that's in his range. Once he buys into it, he can do authentic collaborations with him. He, can, he loves the game, so he can appear at the games. He can appear at the, the hype houses. He can, you know, do music videos with him. He can do game streaming with him um, because it makes sense not only for him because he, he gets it and it's real and it's just a part of his life, but that's also what his demographic speaks to. At the same time, you look at a phase clan and you say, wow, they would benefit from having an offset, you know, within their, um, within their organization because he brings an entire different raised level of, uh, you know, of culture and brand and music to them. And it lets those phase clan members, you know, know, Hey, guess what? Like offset is a, is a member of this. I can now say I'm a, you know, I'm a proud phase clan fan as well. And offset fans can finally say too, guess what? You know, I'm also a gamer. So it creates these unique and frankly, um, very real and authentic. And I hate to keep using that word, but that's really what it is collaborations between music and gaming that that just made sense and they were you know you go back 10 15 years and there was already a piece of music in gaming right there was always always great music within video games mm -hmm. and then you flash forward a little bit and you have you know Khaled playing you know concerts in Overwatch and that made sense and then you took it a step further and you watch you know Drake and Ninja stream and that made sense. And then we had the big marshmallow and Fortnite concert and, and that made sense. So it's just been an evolving mixture between gaming and concerts uh, or gaming and music to what you're now seeing where you, you truly see musicians as parts of gaming organizations. You see in-game concerts as a, as a real piece of a video game like a Fortnite um, and, and several other platforms that I'm working on that are coming out in the next few weeks, you'll see some other huge hip hop announcements within, uh, within some new platforms. Um, and, and so it's just been a, a typical evolution of something that's been going on behind the scenes for years. Anyway, at each one of these concerts, you know, when I, when I go to the artist dressing room or you go to the, the VIP boats, right. It, it's the main stage artists playing COD against each other or Smash or Madden or, you know, the, it's something that they already do. So you, it's not, you're not teaching an artist how to fake their way into a marketing campaign. It's, hey, you like Call of Duty, so does this team. Let's, let's stream. Um, and, and, it, and it makes sense. And then the lifestyle part is it's just the third part of the conversation is what, what else is within this culture? You know, it's shoe collaborations. It's, uh, you know, cause companion drops. It's the latest you know, cop a hoodie. Um, and, and so that just, it just rounds out what is already everyone's, you know, basic culture anyway. Yeah. How has it, and, and, and you know, I know you keep going back to the word authentic, yeah. but I think, you know, that's, that's the word that makes the most sense and, and it's what's true. I mean, if, if you look at what's happened with offset and phase, like, you know, I, I know at the beginning when that first happened, some people were were speculative of it. And I think that now all those people have definitely been proven wrong that it was an authentic fit from the get go. And, you know, I'd be and I don't even know that there's there's probably not studies or I don't know if people even have numbers of this. But when I always think back to that and, I, you know, you continue to see that relationship grow between him and FaZe, you know, I'm just interested from the consumer side, like 
obviously, you know, Offset is bringing a lot to FaZe. Like, you know, a lot of especially younger people know who Offset is through his music and all that. But I'd be more so interested, too, to know, you know, what fans of FaZe, whether that be through his social media numbers, whether that be through his streaming numbers on Spotify or Apple Music. You know, it'd be very interesting to see if later down the road or, or if it's already available, you know, how much even him being a part of FaZe has, has brought new audience members to him. It, it, the numbers are available um, and the okay. audience, you know, and, and, and really it's probably part of it is already his audience is within phase. Um, it just gives them a, a, a yet another connection with the audience that he already has. And some of it is, you know, an audience that he, that may not know that he exists, hear his music, and then we'll go download it and downstream it the very next day. And, and, and you, you can see that within the Travis Scott Fortnite numbers. You know, first of all, the, the numbers are staggering. I mean, they, they, they were beyond what any of us had ever imagined it to be. You know, 26 and a half million uh, unique viewers and 45 million total viewers, meaning people went back several times to watch the same clip. But what was even more amazing about that is within the next 48 hours, he got 24 million downloads. Wow. That, that's a direct correlation to someone who sees that and then, you know, runs off and, and does a, does the stream. It, it really, what, what made some, you know, it, when I, whenever I look at this, so we go back to the, you know, the, the word authentic, which we'll mm-hmm. make a drinking game out of this. I mean, it's, it is an <laughs> esports podcast, right? So if we, if we don't say authentic, uh, you know, or drop the billion dollar number, then, then it's not really an esports podcast. Um, but, you know, so, uh, but when you think about it, right, so the way they really work is when clients come to me, whether it's a gaming organization or a label or an artist and say, you know, look, what can I do to be a part of this ecosystem? Um, the first thing that, you know, that you have to do is say, are you ready for it? Right. There are certain, um, there are certain clubs that may or organizations that may not quite be ready for, uh, you know, to, to collaborate with an artist because they're not adding something to that artist's repertoire. At the same time, there's some artists that may make zero sense in gaming, right? Just because, you know, just because you hear that gaming is a thing doesn't mean that you're actually a part of it. Um, and so when these different clients come to me and say, hey, I'm you know, here already, whatever, my first thing is, okay, are you at that level where not only are you getting something, but with every good partnership, it's I'm equally giving something back to it or else what's the point of it, right? Then, then there's nothing. Um, number two, it's okay, can you find the true perfect match for you? And, you know, everyone's going to have that match. It, it, right now, to me, it, it, you know, hip-hop and EDM seem to be the obvious go-tos uh, because, because of the music and the beats and the culture um, and, and the, the hype that goes with it that goes with gaming. But for certain clubs, right, country music is right for the picking. Um, some pop stars, right, are right for the picking. But it's got to be someone who understands the gaming culture and who's already in there. it. It starts with, you know, if an artist calls me and says, you know, I want to get a part of the gaming culture, you know, my first question is going to be, are you, is this something you already do? What games do you play with? And so, for example, I had an artist call me this morning. We spent about 45 minutes on the phone and, you know, his whole thing was, I want to be involved in this gaming culture because I'm watching it happen. I'm watching other artists stream. And my question back was, what, what do you play? What, what are you already doing? And when his answer is nothing, you know, I, I don't, I don't game. Um, you know, should I and tell me what game, you know, that you want me to play, then that's inauthentic, right? That's, that's, I'm just doing it now for marketing. 
and and you're not going to get anything out of it and unless of course the answer is you know hey let's make a a video of you know artist so and so learning to play a game that he never has has played before and let's see if we can make a fan out of him but you know these collaborations when you think of the good ones like offset with um you know with phase with drake with 100 thieves with wiz Cleaver with the pittsburgh knights um you know these work because the not only do the artists game but the culture of that artist goes with the culture and the ethos of that organization and so therefore they're both getting something out of this partnership and out of this deal and and it's seamless right it, it, it doesn't seem like it's some marketing gimmick because it's not and so you know that's that's really the trick. And so when people come to me and say, Hey, you know, help us find this, you know, my first thing is, okay, let's figure out what your, what is your brand? What is your demographic? What are you about? And then we'll go find the right organization or artist that shares those exact same, um, you know, goals, values, and, and, uh, you know, and frankly, the games, right. You gotta, you gotta both play, play the same games that make sense for a partnership. And, and it's not easy, right? Sorry, <laughs> I mean, it, it, sorry. It, it, it sounds easy, and, and the reality is it, it's not, right? There's, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, you ask the question, you know, what does, what does Offset get out of phase? Um, you know, th- there's a lot that goes into that research before you even kind of figure it out on behalf of both the artist and the organization because it, it's a lot of, you know, investment of time um, and, frankly, goodwill on both sides' parts to make it work. So you, you want to make sure that you are finding the right, um, you know, the right value on day one so that you don't get, like you said, you know, when Offset first joined phase, some people are going, what the hell is this? That That's not what you want. You want it to be, oh, this is an obvious fit or, wow, this is this is really cool. You know, or if it's, oh, why does this work? The, the answer is pretty evident on the very first collaboration. Yeah, I was actually listening to, it was a couple of weeks ago that Chris Smith, that I know a lot of us are familiar with in, in the LinkedIn group, that he have his, he has his podcast. He had Clinton Sparks on there, and and one of the questions he asked him was around this thing of bringing on new artists and, you know, does FaZe Clan just sign any music artist or any pro athlete or anything like that? And, you know, Clinton's response was that that's, you know, obviously not at all the case and very much along the lines of what you were saying, that it's got to make sense on on both sides of the equation. Right. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, I think for some like just like there's people that want to work in this space. I'm sure that, you know, you, you brought up an example of somebody spoken with recently that I'm sure that there's a lot of NBA players or NFL players or rappers or, or whatever the case may be that are seeing the gaming space and, and now esports explode and, and want to be a part of it. But um, it, it's interesting to see. And, and I'm sure those conversations, like you're saying, it's exciting, but I'm sure it's a lot of work going into, you know, what is the perfect fit? Yeah. You know, it, and that happened, especially over the last three months, right? Your, your, my phones blew up as I'm sure everyone's in this space did um, because traditional sports, as we all know, you know, shuttered. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone was looking for it. And, and it happened with artists as, as well. Um, a lot of concerts and festivals called me and said, okay, you know, get me into gaming. Um, you know, can you put my, can you put me into a concert on, you know, in Fortnite, on Roblox, in Minecraft? You know, I want to be the next Marshmallow, uh, you know, or now Travis Scott, now that that's come out um, and happened. And mm-hmm. Faze gets it a lot because that's obvious. Hundred Thieves, I think, gets it a lot these days as well. Um, and, and a lot of you know streamers got it when it first happened because 
all of a sudden, you know, these NBA, these NFL players and these, these musicians, they didn't have their typical outreach and they saw streaming, um, you know, they, they saw esports. And the cool thing about watching a true talented esport professional play is they make it look so easy, right? When you watch a, a Counter-Strike player do those shots, you know, a headshot without, you know, even bother scoping and it's a perfect sniper shot in milliseconds, it looks so easy. And, you know, to a even average gamer, it's, it's impressive. Um, and so a lot of people are sitting at home going, oh, I can do this, right? If, if this quote unquote kid can do it, so can I. Um, and, and that's not the case, right? We all know that that's not the case. And a lot of times when I have these conversations, it's, you know, look, I got to be honest, this is not for you. You're, you're going to look silly doing this. You're going to look, um, you know, you're going to look like you're just pandering or, you know, being a sellout and trying to do it. And the best part to me about esports audiences, why I truly just love this ecosystem is they have the best bullshit meter over anyone that I've ever met, right? An esport fan can smell when something is pandering, when it's a marketing gimmick, when it's a brand or label who simply just smacked their, their you know, label with, within the esports ecosystem without taking the time to really understand it or, or get it. And that's because, right, esports for the most part is given away for free on Twitch, Mixer, YouTube, you know, pick a platform. Um, and the response then is kind of, we'll watch this and we'll do this so long as you continue to give us something that is real and, you know, and cool and, and still has, you know, the ethos that we're all used to. Um, and is not you're not going to you know be a sellout to us and and so we you know esports fans they're they're very vocal on you know whatever chat they're in with the time and, and calling BS which is great if you're a brand because you can get immediate feedback into what you're doing and learn from it and if you're a good brand you'll pivot when you see something is wrong um, and if you're a better brand you know you'll you'll keep adding what you are what you're adding to um, the other great thing about an esports audience though is they're forgiving to the extent that hey. We're very welcoming. If you'll take the time to understand our game and what makes it unique and why we're fans of it, and you take the time to do that and you add something to it, then right, we're, we're, we're now your fan as well. Um, and so for a lot of these artists and athletes, it didn't make sense because they weren't going to take the time to learn the game um, or, or they weren't going to do a value add. And, you know, I, I got to be honest, I always say this, I, I saw the NBA 2K on ESPN and, and I thought it was shit when it first came out because here you have these top level athletes and what they did was they made the, just the, the two of them playing a game, the center focus and NBA 2k is a game is to me is a little bit boring to watch. Um, and what I'm watching it for is kind of the backstories and maybe the trash talk and, you know, why these athletes play the game in the first place. And there was none of that going on. It was just, you know, these two little, uh, you know, stream, videos in the corner and they would every blue moon someone would say oh you know when's the last time you shot basketball you know been a few days oh that sucks and they'd go back to playing this quiet game and to me it missed the mark right this was why it's inauthentic i want someone who's going to play the game who's going to trash talk who's going to talk about how you know this game is part of their life and that to me is the focus and the game goes into the background and so i will talk a lot of artists or you know game orgs out of the collaboration yet because they're not doing a real value add not only to the other partner but to their their audience because they're just not there yet or they don't get it yet or they don't have a brand developed that makes sense right there's a lot of esports teams 
that we can say, you know, like I, I know what phase stands for. I know what hundred D stands for, right? I know what, you know, uh, Houston outlaw stands for, and you can go through that liquid, et cetera. But there's just as many, if not more game orgs that have a cool name and a cool logo. But if you say, you know, Hey, what's, what's so cool about this organization or the brand, they don't really have an identity yet other than, yeah, maybe they're good at one game or, they send out one funny, you know, tweet, but they don't have an identity yet. If you don't have an identity, you can't use that then to add something to a, a good partnership. And, and so they're just, you know, that doesn't mean they won't get there. It just means that, you know, today is not the day to, to level up and get a, a you know, and, and get a good artist. Let's work on your brand identity. What do you, do you think, and I'm curious, cause you know, we, we bring up yeah. faith, we bring up a hundred thieves and, you know, we talk about these uh-huh. are kind of lifestyle orgs, right? We've got, they've got their competitive teams. They've got the streaming teams. They've got the lifestyle, the merch, all that going on. Do you see from, you know, from your perspective and your work in the industry, do you see that that's where, you know, those are the two prominent ones right now, but as time progresses, do you think that that's how gaming organizations are going to have to model themselves to really survive in the industry and push the industry forward? Or do you think there's going to be room for other opportunities or that doesn't have to be as much of a focus or, or what do you think about that? Yeah. So, uh, right. And I'm, I've, I'm pretty vocal about this and, and it, you know, I, I make a few enemies about what I'm about to say, but it, it, it's, it's, frankly, kind of what I believe. And so take yeah. this as my opinion, not as gospel. We'll, we'll, we'll do that caveat, right? But, okay. but for me, um, you know, it's very expensive to run a good esports team, right? So if, if you think about the franchise fees alone, if you're in all three of the franchise leagues, you're already at about $55 million in franchise fees alone. And then if you put on top of that, now you need the players. So now you're at another few million dollars to build out a good roster. Um, on top of that, you know, you need a good facility, you need a good content creation. So, you know, you could be at 70, $80 million in the blink of an eye and you haven't even built out yet your smash or your counter striker, you know, even a Madden, uh, you know, team and now Valorant and, you know, and others. So it, to be a really big esports organization it is a huge, um, investment of money, which is why when you see these numbers of these teams raising, 20, 40, 60 million dollars, they need it. And you can be a smaller team, right? You don't need to be one of these giant teams, but even to be a smaller team and you think about what you're doing, you're still paying athletes to play within these tournaments that you need to pay to be in. Um, And you need to train the athletes and now you have nutritionists and, uh, you know, and and coaches and and the content because, you know, that's the big part too. So there's a, there's a lot of money that goes into the overhead of it. Okay, now you take a step back and you say, how are you going to make your money back? And when you think of a traditional sport team, a traditional sport team makes it money in three ways. 20% is ticket sales, 40% is media rights, and then 40% is licensing and sponsorship. And unfortunately, within esports, right, ticket sales are not really a driving factor, especially at a team level. You, you may get a few hundred Maybe you get even a few thousand, you know, attendees, but at 20 to 50 bucks a pop, that's, that's not moving the needle, right? That's not selling out, uh, you know, I, I, I'll give you a thought. It's not selling out Jordan Hare Stadium, you know, for, for a season. Um, uh, you know, so ticket sales just aren't really a thing. Neither are meteorites, right? That's usually owned by the publishers or the leagues, or it's given away for free on one of the platforms. So, that's 60% of a traditional sports team revenue 
that is not available at an esport team level. So what's available? Right, winning tur- winning tournaments, but that's that's not really a thing. That's not you know you're not going to win your eighty million dollars back. And so where does right. it become? It becomes it becomes sponsorship and licensing. That's really then where your revenue stream is. And the problem right now in esports um, is that one, we're still pretty new, uh, and so you know brands are still a little bit trepid about you know dipping their toe in the water. Um, and number two, the other issue is that you have now you know twenty, thirty, fifty esports organizations all vying for the same brands, right? So if you are a brand, you know you sit back and you say, "Great, ten esports teams." Um, you know, number one, tell me who you are. And so you could probably have five esports teams that give you what makes them different and gives you their their brand and identity. And the other five probably are like, hey, look, you know, we're kids that play esports. So put those five away because I don't want those. Now you've got the other five, and then it's a bidding war, right? They all need that first big name sponsor. So in the end, big name sponsor may say, I'll tell you what, like I'll I'll give you free candy bars and round trip tickets, um, and that's my sponsorship. So it's not a real value in terms of money, but you know what, to the team it's hey, guess what? I'm the one that got this big name sponsor and no one else did. So at least I can try to use that to get my, my next sponsor, but good luck trying to get 70, $80 million back worth of sponsorships. So what does that mean then? To me then to make money as an esport team, you have to become, you have to transcend esports. You have to become a bigger part of the entertainment um, ecosystem. And you can have your basis in esports and gaming, but you've got to find a way to become bigger and better. Even if it's going to just be simply to, to, um, to attract these brands and licenses to your organization and say, hey, come to me because look, I've got this huge name and following, uh, you know, that's fine. Or guess what? Because I've got this name that, that goes bigger than just esports and transcends the, the titles that I play, I can now make money in, you know, collab drops and, uh, you know, in music. And now you see phase with, with movies and, you know, hundred thieves, I think was the first one to really sort of get the fact that there are now two different pieces of the equation that builds out your roster. There's your esport athlete and there's your kind of gamer streamer. And, you know, a few years ago, they were probably one in the same, but they're not anymore, right? There's a big divergence between the, the athlete you're going to put in your tournament as opposed to the streamer. And we could, you know, do an entire show about why that's the case. But, you know, the streamer is the one then that's bringing you um, your bigger audience and getting your numbers up because that's what they do, right? People watch them because they're entertaining. And then people like your organization because they are winning at the game. But when you look at some of these top teams that everyone knows about and that are really the popular teams, they may not necessarily be the ones that are winning the tournament um, or even making the semifinals. But people still cheer them on because they've got this cool brand and ethos and, and they're bigger than the game itself. Um, and what's a little bit scary is when I talk to a lot of these teams and my first question is okay how are you approaching your organization do you look at yourself as a traditional sport team which we just said here's why then you're never going to make your money back or do you look at yourself as an entertainment brand that is based in gaming um you know 
some of them say one or the other, and then we have a conversation about why or why not. But a lot of them say, like, you know, I, I don't even know yet. I, I, we never thought about that. I just wanted to get in. And to me, that's a little bit scary because, you know, you're putting up people's real money. And these investors, you know, some of them are in it because they love it. And some of them are in it because they want to return on their investment that they've, you know, they put. And when they come to you in one year or five years and they say, okay, where's my money back? And, and how do you see it, you know, getting your answer can't be, I don't know, um, which is what some teams are saying. And others like, oh, well, we're going to build up and someone's going to buy us out. And that's how you're going to get your money back is we're going to find someone who is willing to basically buy us because they want to own it and find the next person to buy them out. So to me, to really kind of make it long term, you need to look at yourself more than just a just an esport team that plays in a, a league or two. You've got to have a value add to it that transcends out of esports. Yeah, I, I think too, and, and you you know you can speak on the content side of it or, or the storytelling. I actually want to go back to your point of when you were talking about the NBA 2K League and when you're watching that, and I'll try to tie that into what you're saying. But I think there's yeah. a bit of a match there. Is you know you know you said you watch the 2K League because you like the stories behind it, you like the people behind it. It's not so much the gameplay there that attracts you to the NBA 2K League. And and I'd agree that something I think the 2K League does very well compared to some other esports leagues is that they really hone in on okay, here are our players, here here's the stories of our players, here's what they've come from, here's what they've overcome and, and you know that's what really captures you on the audience side. And I mean if you think about traditional sports at the same time, you know the example I always use is, you know, look at if you're a college football fan, look at, you know, game day on Saturdays. That three hours where they've got different stories whether it's coaches whether it's players you know i can become the fan of a of a person on college game day for a team that i have no correlation to simply because of the story that's being told and and how i can relate to that and so then to bring that back to you know when you're looking at the orgs and we're talking about like okay yeah you can have your your professional team and and that's important to a degree again i'm just speaking from my personal opinion what i think I think that your your streamers are very important. The storytelling is really important, um, and, and just like you want that on the on the player side for your teams, I think it'd be cool too. And you know, you've seen the Call of Duty League do it with uh, I forget what are the mini series is that they're doing with some of the teams where they're like having stories behind it. Um, because I think I don't know, I, and I guess the point I'm trying to say I'm gonna be conveying it that well is that I think something to continue to advance esports really well and can bring in more people and and make it more uh, attractive for more people is the storytelling side of it. So whether that's through your leagues and whether that's through your you know your players that you have individually signed to your orgs, um, I don't know. I, I just think that's something that's that's really important going forward. You're one of it's funny when some of these teams. You know, when you, they, you, and you sort of tell me like, oh, how are you going to make money? A lot of them say content, right? We're going to put out content. And, and to me, the, you, you can't monetize content. You're not going to make your money on content. But what you're going to do is exactly what you said. You, you're going to tell the story. You're going to attract fans. And, you know, college game day is a perfect example. Because if you think about college football, it's, it's student athletes that are there for three to four years tops. And then they, they move out and then you get the next batch. And so how do you keep a college football fan excited about a team when they can't really fully invest in the players long-term because they're going to graduate and move on as opposed to say a pro team where some of these players are there, you know, 10 or 15 years. Well, how do you keep 
getting your fans engaged. You tell the story of, of the students and the team and what brought them there and their backstory. And they do a phenomenal job on college game day of keeping an Auburn fan, you know, why anyone want to be an Auburn fan anyway, but at least like, <laughs> Hey, let me, let me show you. you know, it's, I guess it's better than her being an old Miss fan. Um, right. But true. it's, but you, right. But you, you keep them engaged and, and that's what the content does. Um, because look, it, you know, it's, it's a very strange ecosystem because if you think about it, right, why would someone care about watching Overwatch unless you already play Overwatch? So Overwatch, right, to me is not like football. You don't have to play football to be a football fan or even understand what you're watching. But you have to play Overwatch to understand Overwatch or at least have someone explain it to you. And to me, what we don't do a good job of is attracting new fans who don't play the game to still become a fan of the league, right? So it's very rare that you'll see a shoutcaster start off and explain the game at a level that can be understood, um, which is why I think something like an Overwatch or League of Legends is hard for newbies to pick up if you're not playing with it, as opposed to, say, Counter-Strike, where you know after five minutes, like, oh, here's five people and here's five people and they're going to shoot each other and there's a bomb somewhere in there, um, right? But so if you're not going to explain the game to me, then what else are you going to do to me? You know what? Tell me some cool stories. Give me some content. So I'm at least cheering for a team or a specific player for a reason other than I like their tattoo or, you know, what a, what a cool name. I've got some backstory. And esports is great because unlike traditional sports, most of these athletes are connected to their fans through streams and social media. And, you know, these fans know more about their esports players than a lot of traditional fans know about their, you know, actors or, um, you know, or athletes. And so we have this unique culture and medium that we need to take advantage of even more within content. And, you know, it can't just be quickly, oh, the world shuttered, let's just throw an esport out there and, and get it going. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is your big shot. And if you fail, right, there's a lot of people, there are a lot of haters out there. And there's still people say, oh, you know, esports is nerdy and it's just video games and can you believe how stupid this is? So you prove them wrong by showing them how great it is. But if you go out there and you do it wrong, then you've proven the haters. And so to me, you know, some of these streams that we saw were horrible. On the flip side, there were some incredible streams that, that nailed it out of the ballpark, that got shoutcasters that were super engaging, that told the backstory, that got the content, that, you know, that drove it. Um, in a, and, and made it an entertainment piece with, you know, the, you know, going back to kind of where we were talking in the beginning, you know, with some cool artists and musicians and, you know, got almost like a pro-am tournament going and kept even that content and storytelling going. And then you got to see that, you know, certain athletes, certain artists are fans and play the game just as much as the, you know, the e-sport athlete. And then what was even cooler is, you know, here's a fan who's playing and you get to still see how much more incredible that esport athlete really is at these games. Definitely, yeah, no, no. It's been it's been interesting to see, you know, like like you brought up examples of there've been some that have done them really well over the last couple of months, really since the the breakout of of COVID happened, where obviously a lot of like we had mentioned these athletes and and these celebrities have kind of 
transition to streaming to keep their their audiences engaged but it's been cool to see the ones that that have knocked out of the park and it's been really cool to see uh you know for example for me i'm a miami heat fan so you know myers leonard i think he's been an incredible example of someone that does an incredible job being a professional nba player but he's just excelled and and thrived during this time through his stream because it was already just so authentic for him so just one example but um it's been interesting to watch um I wanted to pivot or revisit, maybe deep dive a little bit more on this topic because obviously I think a lot of people know about the live events going on in Fortnite and, you know, you've had the marshmallow. Now you've had the Travis Scott, which we talked about was just incredible. Um, Given that you've had the background in, you know, music festivals and and live events and, you know, how we've talked about through your career, have you been able to see that kind of progress now to these in game events? How much do you see, and I guess however much you can talk about it, but how much do you see that continuing to grow to where maybe it isn't, you know, every six to eight months that we see a popular artist show up in a fortnight or, or something that would fit the mold? Is that going to be something you think, especially now with how COVID's impacted the world, is that going to see something do you think is going to increase in, in the quantity of artists that they're that going to be interested in doing something like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, right. And, and, uh, I, I won't break client confidences, but I can I can probably name you 25 incredible ones coming within the next few months that I'm that I'm working on. But it, there's three real big driving factors for it, right? So number one is the fact that these artists now see the value of an in-game concert, and I mean that by going, you know, we'll we'll take the the TS and Fortnite concert. So what basically took him one day to go into the studio and kind of record and produce got him 26 and a half million views, right? You're not doing that on a worldwide tour. And if you did, that's a 18 month to two year endeavor to get those same type of eyeballs that you did for one day. So for a lot of it, these artists are going to take a step back and go crap. Like I can, I can spend one day and reach, you know, 10 to 20 million people done, right? Count, Count me in on that. Number two, the next bigger driver is going to be, um, as more of these platforms have engaged and gotten people to buy in into the fact that they should have an avatar that they invest in, right? So you think about Roblox or Minecraft or now Animal Crossings and Fortnite and, and a few others, people have invested their time into creating their avatar, building out their avatar, you know, and, and spending a lot of time and money into various uh, you know, loot boxes and skins into their avatars. So what's the next big thing that comes with it? Digital merch drops within those, you know, for your avatar. So guess what? I went to the Travis Scott concert and I downloaded, uh, you know, the t-shirt proving that I was there. I was at the concert. It's no different than a, you know, getting a concert t-shirt, um, you know, or, you know, then, you know, a week, you know, a week later, right. It was the, uh, Dylan Francis, Steve Aoki dead mouse one, right. Is guess what? I got my angel wings from being one of the first hundred few people to have found the stage and gotten it. And it's the badge of honor that you've done that. And so as more and more people start investing into their avatar on a certain platform to keep them in there and to sort of guess what, like, look, I'm cooler than your avatar is you're going to give them more and more, um, you know, we'll call them badges of honor, but right, it's just basically digital merch from these artists. And what's great is the way the deals are are starting to be structured is, you know, look, uh, it's, you're going to play, you know, the, the Travis Scott was a phenomenal deal for him. Um, You know, the money is outrageous, but some of the more realistic deals are either I'll pay you a little bit, 
uh, because you're, you're, I, I need you to do the production fee and give me your, your licenses, your mechanical and sync and public performance music license, which is, you know, gives you the ability to utilize the songs, you know, on this platform. But the real value is a split of the digital merch, right? That's, that's really what these deals are looking like now is what I'm negotiating these days is what's, what's the digital merch going to be? And then what are the splits of it? And as that starts driving it, it's because, hey, I'm, I need to give these avatars something to continue to make them relevant within my world. So as these platforms become more and more of, of you know, uh, the part of someone's daily life as, as, you know, ready player one becomes more of a reality and we all start living in an oasis rather than in real life, you've got to, you've got to give something there and that's the digital merch. Um, and then the third is the fact that what's now going to start happening. And, um, uh, you know, if I, if I say this in a certain way, I won't reach quite. So right now I'm working on an incredible, um, we'll just call it a virtual event space. And there's several of them out there. Most people probably saw the other day about the wave um, capital raise of $40 million, which included Scooter Braun and Raise and Space and others, you know, investing 40 million into wave, which is a virtual event space for artists. Um, But as, as different platforms realize that the consoles themselves Kind of, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a nice way to say it. Without, right? So consoles themselves are going to start building virtual event platforms within those consoles, mm-hmm. which now means that you're not just buying a console because, hey, you know, one has, uh, you know, Halo and Gears on it and, and the other, you know, has, uh, you know, Red Dawn or, you know, whatever else you can get from just being on one platform or the other. But it's now I'm buying in because there's a virtual event space and I'm going to get unique virtual experiences of concerts and uh, maybe movie releases and other unique content within this event space that was made specifically for my console platform. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm working on a game changer one right now um, you know, that will we'll do that. We'll have an entire year's worth of unique content within this platform which would make you want to buy console a over over console b um and and as those become more and more prevalent right that's that's really what's going to drive it once live events and concerts open back up it's certainly not going to replace them in the slightest um but it would be an add-on right get you know come i'm getting ready to do a world tour come watch me perform in Fortnite's you know experiential play mode uh, and, you know, unlock the code for 30% off of my ticket, right? Or buy one, get one free of my event. Um, or, you know, come to my virtual event, buy this digital merch, um, and then flash it at my concert and you'll qualify for an upgrade. So there'll be tie-ins back into the live events as, as they go on. Uh, you know, which I, I think it, it is really cool. And, and, um, I would say that I probably spend two to three hours a day these days listening to different ideas and pitches into how to build these virtual event spaces out bigger. And then of course, how do we drive them back into live events when they return? Um, but yeah, they're, these conversations are deep and heavy and really impressive with what's coming on the horizon. Yeah. And speaking to another example, just for anyone listening that, that might hit home for some people that I don't know if I can't, I don't remember if it's in this 2k or the next 2k, I want to say it was this 2k, but I know like 
as you rank up your player in 2K, you can unlock certain shoes that unlock A in the game, but then B, you like use a code or whatever the case is, and you can actually go on to Nike and it's like an exclusive shoe that only if you've played 2K and only if you've unlocked it in there can you actually purchase it in real life. So it, yeah. it's kind of interesting to see the exclusive, you know, for your avatar, you know, like Fortnite, where like, okay, hey, I've got this to prove I was there. And then it's also really interesting. And, and I know 2K is just one example, but seeing how, okay, here's a shoe that it's in real life, but you can actually only get it through playing it through the video game. And I don't know. I think that's, I nerd out over that. I think that's pretty crazy. Well, think, and, and think about it too, you can take it a step further by racking up X amount of points in Madden you can be invited to an exclusive halftime show, which will be, you know, uh, an event by an artist, um, you know, or at NBA 2K. And, and so, you know, it's, it, they will be linking more and more of you play the game to unlock a certain something. Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, and I guess the flip side of that, and I think you touched on it a little bit, but I want to ask you was, let's, you know, say it's a year from now or a year and a half from now where, I don't know how long it'll be until music festivals and concerts come back. I don't have any knowledge of that. I'm sure you do, but let's just say it's a year and a half away or something. How, how will this transition, right? Do you think these live events, I know you said they might be a compliment. How do you think the landscape will change then once music festivals and and live concerts do come back? Um, Will they both still be in in sync with one another? Will one complement the other or kind of what's your viewpoint on that? Yes, I have I, 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 and here's what I keep driving with my events as well. Um, I think gaming is now ripe to include in a special way in, in live events. So I will say this, um, so far to me, nothing that I have seen in the past has wowed me in the, in the way of linking live music and live gaming together. That we've all seen, you know, various festivals try it and, and never take off. But that's because if you're a really hardcore gamer and you're in the game, the music is just a nuisance and a distraction, right? So it's like, shit, like turn that live stage off. I'm, I'm gaming. At the same time, if I'm there to do a music concert and I'm not stage hopping it, you know, an ultra Coachella or, or electric daisy carnival, I'm not going to stop for 90 minutes and go engage in Fortnite or, or League of Legends, right? I'm not, I'm not deactivating being at the festival to go do that. So you got to find that happy medium. Um, and, and there's some cool things that we're working on that, that does kind of do that happy medium, right? Maybe it's like you, you stop out and you bro out with a quick game of Madden or, uh, you know, you play Smash and, and there's some other things. But when festivals come back, right, it will no longer be, at least for a while, you know, 60,000 fans shoved in front of the main stage, you know, mm-hmm. sitting there all day from 11 till, till midnight. Um, because you need to socially distance and, and you're going to have to create that social distance. Now, at the same time, the cost to put on these events is definitively not going down, right? You still need the biggest stages, the biggest pyrotechniques. These, these artists, they're not giving you a break just because, oh, you know, you possibly can have less fans. These artist fees are outrageous these days. I mean, sometimes for a, a a three-day festival, I'm, I'm cutting 40 to $50 million in artist fee checks alone. So, you know, it takes a lot of money to put on these events at a good level. Now, at the same time, then, I can't put on that level an event where I'm used to putting on for 80,000 fans 
and say, oh, because of social distancing, this year I'm only going to use 20000 because you can't jack up the ticket price because that won't work. So you still need to figure out a way to attract a large number of fans, but offer them something different than come please crowd around my main stage because you can't do that. So what do I think it's going to be? I think it's going to be various gaming activations and other experiential pop-ups throughout the festival so that if you go to a stage and it's too crowded, you know what? Instead, I'm going to go pop over to this gaming tent, uh, you know, or this experiential tent or, you know, something different. And I, I'm still getting my values worth of being at this festival. So I can still hear the music and I can still be here, but now I'm doing something different. Or it's the same thing. I'm sitting at a stage all day. You know what? I want to go. I need to go wash my hands and my face and sanitize up. You put your sanitation stations within what I call the dead area, but you've now built up something more than, hey, come get your funnel cake and, uh, you know, and, and taco street meat. You, it's, it's not just food vendors anymore. It's going to be more unique experientials um, for the festival fan goers more than just the music. And, and I think that there's um, – I've heard some festivals saying they're going to come back in March or April of next year. But at a very uh, social distance friendly festival, I think mm-hmm. most festivals are probably eyeing closer to uh, August of, of next year before they really you know do it. Because again, um, the the overhead of putting these festivals on is, is, is pretty high, so you're not, you're not going to do it for just you know a few thousand fans. Um, but what they're looking then is is to give some more unique creative spaces to the fan goer or the, to the festival goers and, and the biggest and easiest way to do it is, is, is with, is within unique kind of gaming collaboration. Yeah, no, 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 definitely. Do you, and, and this is a question, if I'm putting you too much on the spot with this question, let me know and, and we can edit it out or not have it in, but yeah. you know, talking about these festivals, I think of, you know, Metarama that was going to happen last year and it didn't, and it, and it fell through. Uh, is there anything you can like touch on, on on why you think an event like that didn't work and and what why it didn't work or, or reasons that it would you'd have to change to make it work in the future? Yeah, so let let um, is that too right. much? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna find a uh, a friendly way to say. It. All right. So number one, they knew that they were the first of a new genre that everyone was looking at, and if they failed, um, then there went the genre. So. I think in the end, they made the wise decision of saying, we're not, we can't quite break this code yet, and we're not going to therefore do it. Because they weren't even the first. There was Playfest, uh, which also the same thing. They were going to come out, and then that got shelved. That was owned by Insomniac, and then Metarama was owned by C3, and they did the same thing. So um, twofold, I think, were, were the things. One, um, I think that they realized that the – gaming piece and the music piece that they set up weren't very cohesive. Um, right. So it's not, it's not as easy as, Hey, I'm doing a music event. Let's throw some gaming in there and call it a day. Um, you've got to really sort of break it down to, okay, what is the demographic that's coming to this festival for the music? Now we got to find games that make sense for that demographic. So there, there's a little bit of a science to it. Uh, and number two, um, if you know, especially if you're going to add the gaming piece, it it needs to be at a very high quality, and that's not easy to do in the middle of the Vegas fairgrounds, much less, frankly, probably any outdoor space. Um, to create a 
safe and secure land system that will give gaming fans the level that they are accustomed to. I think, I think that's probably the nicest way to kind of give some insight as to what went on behind the scenes there. And, and fairly too, because you know, I know especially a lot of these. If if you're a streaming celebrity, or you know, if you're a you know a pro player and you still stream, I mean, you're <laughs> mostly used to very nice setups at home. Um, you've got you know you've got everything you need there, and I know it can be different when you go to land. Sometimes it changes, and and it can be a little bit uncomfortable. But I think definitely to your point, going completely outside um can be can be hard to reenact that um but no i was just 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 interested to hear um i do think that in the in the future that'll be something cool to see whatever festival or whoever it is that does it that can like you're saying get the science right and, and get the right mix i think that that'll be something cool to look forward to i think it'll be a really really interesting uh, event. i i i um i i, th- I can i can tell you that i'm already working with the group that i think is going to crack the code next year uh and and we're they're doing it because we've already started you know started it almost two months ago for an event that will come out probably i think we're looking maybe at august of next year um right so there's a lot of time and effort and a lot of discussions that are going into getting this one right um but but it'll be exciting when we do knock on wood (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no that will be that'll be, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch um well i want to be mindful of of your time so we'll start to wind it down i, I think really sure. the last question i want to ask you and i know this is kind of maybe unrelated to what we were just talking about but to pivot i guess for this last question is you know you've talked a little bit about earlier about how you know you have artists and and certain people that just want to get into gaming right and, and there's definitely that side of whether you're a brand a company a, an artist an athlete you know there's a lot of people that want to be part of it what do you see in your conversations for maybe those same people that are hesitant still as to you know tip their dip their toes in the water of gaming and esports um what what are the some of the things that are causing people to hesitate or are people just waiting for things to play out a little bit more um or is there any insight you can give on on that perspective yeah so i i would say that um so some of the brands and artists are probably a little bit hesitant because they want to see what the numbers really are so you know um you know there's for as incredible as some of the stuff that's in esports there's also a lot of hype and some smoke and mirrors i would say that goes with it that a lot of the numbers um, you know, for, for, for a, uh, for an ecosystem that prides itself on being authentic, there are some inauthentic, inauthentic numbers that are out there, uh, you know, that, 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 um, are not fake numbers. They're just numbers that probably don't deserve to be aggregated. So, you know, we'll, 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 that, that's probably a nice way to say it. So, um, right, some of these brands are, are still taking a step back and going, I don't get it because, you know, if I sponsor this one event or this one title or this one team, what am I really getting in return? Right. Don't tell me that you have 3 million followers. What does that really mean though? In terms of engagement, don't tell me that there are 400 million esports fans. That's fine. That's worldwide across all titles. How many specifically are in your title in this geolocation that I'm going to get? And it's still very new of an industry to be able to get those numbers back. I mean, you know, COD is a top league, right? Just started in, you know, uh, you know, early this year in, in February. Um, you know, so we're, we're still very new in terms of giving the actual real numbers an ROI. And, and now you're seeing some really good analytic um, programs and back end being created 
to answer those questions because if you can't answer those questions, you're not going to get, you know, frankly, what I'll call the adult money into the room. Um, and so I think a lot of brands are willing to dip their toe, maybe, right, but not their pocketbook yet because they don't, they don't see where the value is. Um, so I, I think one thing that we don't do a good job of as an ecosystem is be very realistic about who we are, where we are, and what our numbers are. And when you don't do that, um, you, you run the opportunity, you run the, the chance of messing up the opportunity then when you finally are in front of a brand. Be realistic. You know, if, you, if there's only 100,000 eyeballs, that's okay, right? Say I have 100,000 eyeballs, but here's what's great about my 100,000 eyeballs. It's a very, you know, micro-influencer level. Um, you know, that you're going to get in front of. So I think that's one part of the conversation is that the data isn't there for some of the big boys to feel comfortable. The other part is they don't quite get it. Um, and, you know, they don't want to just, again, slap their logo on something. So you've got to offer some really exciting ways in for brands to partner up. So like one of my favorites, of course, is, you know, the AT&T bracelets at an ESL event that pop, you know, that you get up and when the bomb's coming down, it starts ticking. And, you know, then when the bracelet, you know, when the bomb explodes, the bracelet goes off. And it's such a cool thing because it, it adds to the experience of the, uh, you know, of the viewer to have this like ticking, you know, yeah. bracelet. And, but it's incumbent upon us as a ecosystem to explain to the brand, let me tell you, not only why you should be in it, but how, right? We need to go to them. We're, we're, the, we're the kid in the room and say, I've picked you because you make sense for me. And let me tell you not only why you make sense, but how I'm going to get you involved. And basically just spill it out. And then be realistic in your ask because, you know, it's like when I deal with an artist and some of these artists like, you know, give me $30 million on day one and I want full control, you know, creative control over my stuff. You know, I'm like, you got to be kidding, right? No one knows who you are um, and no one gives a shit, right? And if it's not going to be you, then I'll just take, you know, the other 50 kids that are, you know, waiting behind you that want the same deal. But you, but at some point you can earn that, right? Right? You can earn the right to be a, you know, a Madonna, a Prince, a, you know, a Kendrick and ask for those asks once you've gotten to that level. And as, a, as an ecosystem, we're not there yet. And, and even if you, for example... You know, I, I don't take the billion dollar Nuzu number as gospel for lots of reasons, right? I think that there's a lot of in-game publishing stuff that's thrown in there. But even if you did take it as a billion dollar industry, video games is a $150 billion industry, right? Music is a $22 billion industry. So in the grand scheme of things compared to, you know, athletics is 60 something billion, right? So in compared, you know, it's still nothing. Um, and, and that's okay. It doesn't need to be at that level yet. And so, you know, just accepting where we are and that we want to grow so that one day we can have those big asks that that's, I think is, is something that we as an industry need to improve on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a lot, a lot of insight <laughs> and, and expertise on the subject. I've, I'll tell you, this has been an interesting podcast for me because I, I, I really haven't had much to add or, or even ask you because you just, you, you kill it. So um, I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for coming on. Um, like I said, I, I do want to be mindful of, of your time and everything, but 
Um, this was incredible. Like I said, a, lo a lot of great insight. Um, it's cool to, to hear from someone, especially like yourself, that's in the intersection of, of entertainment. You've got all these different avenues coming together. Um, so this was awesome. Where can we'll, we'll drop it for everybody listening. Um, yep. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you guys will be able to just go straight to, to Darren's links on his socials. But Darren did, did want to give you the opportunity. Uh, what's the best social media platforms for people to connect? Yeah. With? Yeah, you know what? Um, LinkedIn's always my favorite. It, it's got my, uh, you know, all my information there. As I always tell everyone, you know, if, if you're interested, if you got a question, um, you know, not even if if you need me as a lawyer, if you just want a, a quick insight, right? I, I I'll give free advice to anyone who really um, is just kind of a, a appreciative of what we're all doing and what we're all trying to do here. So hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, you know, connect with me. Send me a DM. Um, Usually I tell everyone, give me 24 hours to, to respond. Even if you see that I've read it, presume that I was probably on a conference call when I read it. Does not mean I'm ignoring you if you don't get a response right away. Um, I promise you, if you DM me, you will get a response. Awesome. Well, well Darren, thank you again. I appreciate it. Um, well, and I for... appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'll get you. I'll be sure to get you that shirt because I want you to have it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take it and I'll wear it proudly, my friend. There we go. There we go. Well, for everybody listening, I hope you guys in, enjoyed this podcast episode. Uh, as you guys, I'm sure, can imagine, great person to connect with. So definitely uh, shoot him an invite on LinkedIn and, and just follow along with this stuff. Uh, but without all that being said, we will catch you guys next week for another episode of The Lodges Podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating if you've enjoyed this. You can find out more about Lodges by searching on Instagram at Lodges underscore financial, on Twitter at Lodges, on eFuse at Lodges, and on LinkedIn by searching for my name, Juan Rodriguez, J-U-A-N. Following on socials is the best way to be kept up to date with podcast updates and information. Thanks, and you were just listening to The Lodges Podcast.